Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Geraldine Cox, I am so excited to be able to interview you and to share your story about what you're doing with the amazing kids over in Cambodia. But I don't want to jump ahead. How about you tell everybody what is the name of your charity and what it is that you're doing? Uh, Sunrise Cambodia is an Australian registered tax deductible charity. Okay. Okay. where I have uh, vulnerable kids, kids that have been abandoned, trafficked into prostitution, begging rings, uh, slave labour, illegal adoption rings, and they get rescued and brought back over the border from Thailand. And um, apart from those kids, um, I've got nearly 70 of those residential um, that get government school, um, English computers, Khmer music and dance, art, Mandarin, boxing, tennis and swimming. Wow. Um, I have, And them I live in, they're my family. And yeah. I have lunch with them, live with them, feed them and everything. And um, we've got then 400 kids. I'm in a rural area in a rice paddy. So right. there are a lot of rural farmers around. Yeah. So in addition to the residential kids, I have 400 kids from the community <laughs> that come in every day. Um, That's quite and, a big school. Yeah, and they do all those um, subjects that my residential kids get, but they go home. I don't have to feed them. Right. So, you know, it's wall-to-wall kids. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. I yeah. mean, I love the yeah. sound of it, and I'm yeah. sure there'll be women listening who will mm. go, I want to find out more about this. But um, tell me your why. Why did you do it? What 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 prompted you to start doing this? Um, I had a wonderful Greek lover in my early 20s. <laughs> And we always come back to the lovers. <laughs> yeah, we were crazy about each other, but he was really, really Greek. Right. And he wanted to make sure I could have children, so he put me into hospital and I had the tests. What do you, hang on, hang on, what do you mean? Like virginity tests? No, no, he wanted to make tests. fertility tests, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my God, I so it, did that. Oh, they did, yeah, this is, this is back in the 60s. <laughs> right. And it came out that I had severely blocked tubes, right. so I got dumped. Wow. And um, I was devastated and I thought, I can't live in this country with him just down the road. So I applied to the Department of Foreign Affairs. Yeah. I lied about my qualifications. <laughs> yeah. And I got in. What I did t- you say? Hang on. What did you, so what were you oh, going I, for I, and what did I, you say? I, I had a, um, a grade 12 certificate and I, I left school in grade nine. I'm a real dope, right. really. <laughs> You're um, really not. And, but and, anyway. and they didn't find out for 12 years. I got a phone call <laughs> when I was in Iran and they said, we've just found out that you... You, you lied. <laughs> and I said, well, what are you going to do about it? If you're going to punish me by sending me to a war zone, I'm already here. <laughs> anyway, so I joined Foreign Affairs, got in, and um, my first posting was to Cambodia during the war. Right. Um, oh, I during had, the, the oh, yeah, 1970. Right. Um, and I got there without knowing the country was at war because the post report that Canberra gave me was an old one and it didn't say they'd already started the war. So oh I arrived goodness. in a war zone. Not I can't believe that they sent a young woman oh, yeah. to a war zone. Oh, that... people, no, I was 25. Right, but still yeah. a young woman. Um, you know, war zones have to have all of us there. Yeah, true. Um, and I just fell in love with the country, even though it was sad and devastating and cruel and horrible. Um, I fell in love with the people, the children, the music, their religion, um, their men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I adopted a child there, and it's just captured my heart. And, right? it just, so and it then kept, kept going. It just kept there. going. And then I went on with foreign affairs, 
after two years in Cambodia, I did five years in the Philippines, three wow, three right. years in Thailand, three years in Washington. Okay, well, stop because I'm going to take you back even further and then we're going to talk through your journey to where you are now and then we'll talk a little bit more about what you're doing with um, Sunrise mm-hmm. um, and, you know, how you set it up and why you set it up. But let's go back to Geraldine as a young girl. Okay. <laughs> I love doing this to people. Um, okay, so where did you grow up um, and what size family did you have? Born, what did your parents born do? in the foothills of Adelaide um, okay. to a loving, peaceful, secure family. I was the fourth of... Um, uh, four girls, wow. and my dad wanted to call me Gerald, and when I popped out, he said, I'll just stick I-N-E on the end of it. <laughs> um, and he was the salt of the earth. He was a milkman. He was the Mitch and right. Milky. Uh, he delivered milk 365 days a year. He was a real yakker overalls kind of guy. Yeah, you know? wow. And I have lovely memories of my childhood um, and being with my parents and my and my two sisters. Okay. One, one sister died before I was born. Um my two older sisters were married off as virgins at 19, so I thought I'd even that score up a little bit. <laughs> so um, I, I led my... I can see your cheeky faces yeah. as you were saying this. Um, I led my parents in merry dance and merry dance. And did. Um, well, did you like primary school? I mean, was school just always awful or was it... Uh, no, I love pri- okay? I I primary school. I had a wonderful teacher in primary school that told me you should write, Geraldine, right? She believed in you. That yeah, she did. You know, she kids. had quite an influence on me. Miss Jeffs was her name. Um, I didn't like high school. I'm not an academic. I never got maths, or we used to call it algebra then. Right. Arithmetic. Uh, we no, called yes, it arithmetic. Because algebra is a type of maths. And arithmetic and algebra was just like a, a Greek to me. Um, and I hated homework. Right. It wasn't me. Okay, so you in year nine yeah. decide that's enough. That's enough, yeah. And the first thing that you wanted to do was get out of Adelaide. Uh, right. So what, uh, no, why, why I was, did you apply to the foreign service? Or no, did I didn't apply out? to the foreign service till I was twenty-three. So oh, at fifteen, okay. so, when yeah, what did you I, do at 15, um, I, I did a secretarial course, yeah. a business course, and then um, I worked for ten years b- before I joined foreign affairs in just okay, you know okay. the commercial world doing secretarial so, work. Okay, so ten years in um, secretarial, secretarial work. Um, what made you then decide to go into something like foreign affairs? Like that's quite a quite a leap. Okay, there I was. Must have been a role yes, model. Yes. There was somebody who told you what it was. No, there wasn't a role model. I was just terribly, terribly sad. I'd got dumped by my Greek boyfriend because I couldn't have children, yeah. and um, I was devastated. And I wanted to get out of the country. And there was and that, that was it, literally. Yeah, so that was it. Should you have seen something for America or England, you could just as easily have gone there. Yeah. No, but I saw right. an ad in the paper for foreign affairs, and I thought, oh, that's. That sounds pretty, pretty good. Cool. Life of glamour and travel at taxpayers' expense. <laughs> so I joined up and got in, despite having lied on my application. Right. Um, and I got in, and my first posting was Cambodia at the beginning of the Vietnam War. That's extraordinary. War. Is that still happening? Like, is that still possible for twenty-year-olds to be sent no, off you've overseas? Got like to that? be twenty-one to go. Right, but that's yeah. it. But that's yeah, it. Like yeah, people yeah. can still do that. Yes, they can. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Um, um, but. Uh, Things have changed a bit now. To get into foreign affairs now, you've got got to have a university degree. And in order to get that degree, because my son tried to do it, yeah. and, you've got to have uh, languages. Yeah, and they only take the first one percent of the graduates. They only take wow. the, the real, the real, um, you know, right. achievers. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so you're 22 or whatever, you're 25, you head over to um, Cambodia, Cambodia yep. not knowing very much about it by the South Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what the what, what that was like. What well, was it like um, to arrive? Well, the first day I was there, there were uh, I flew in yep. and um, I didn't know that um, if you drink on a plane, your uh, capacity for alcohol is less. <laughs> and I was flying first class in those days. The government paid for you to Did do they? that. First oh, yeah. class, wow. So I was on my first first class flight and loving every a, minute yes, of it. Yes, I wouldn't have been able to resist right. the alcohol. And I was drinking French champagne like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> and when the plane arrived, um, the, the person got up and he opened the door and he looked up at the sky and then he said, six people come now. So six people come now. And I thought, what's he doing that for? It's not going to rain. And then I found out afterwards that there'd been a rocket attack at the airport the day before and he wanted to make sure there were no jets coming over. To the, so he wanted to make sure the passengers got off without being rocketed. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, so um, I was pretty sober by the time I got to the hotel. I bet. And the country had um, – I'm not repeating myself here. No, you're not. No, 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 not at all. Um, and this is fascinating. The country had a real effect on me. It was devastation. It was war. It was as big as no, but, in the but street. Talk to me a little bit, though, about how – I can understand that it would have been, but how did you, as a young woman, like what you know, were there? So they gave you a hotel on the first day, but like, how how does it roll out? What what well, does the job involve? Um, I I lived for six weeks from the wonderful Raffles Hotel. It's one of the oh. most prestigious <laughs> hotels there, um, and 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 then you get allocated an apartment. I had to wait for a girl I was replacing to leave. Right. Um, and what's and, the actual role? What, what what's your job? Um, well, to I be? was I was working for the ambassador as a I had top secret clearance and yeah. I typed up you know secret reports and things, and I also worked for the for the for the defence and covered you know war um citrips situation right. and reports. is this sort of secretarial work? Yes, still? yes, okay. Yeah. Um, always secretarial work. Um, and it was fascinating, fascinating. I bet. And I re we had rocket attacks every night. It was really scary uh, most of the time. I'm sure. And um, the ambassador went out for lunch one day and um, I had the keys to the safe and everything. <laughs> and there's a, a file called Contingency Plan. Right. So I thought, I'll have a look and see how we're going to get out of here if things get really hairy. So I got myself a ham and cheese sandwich and a you know, coat and sat down, <laughs> opened the report, and it had one sentence. It said the Americans will come back for us if we have time, if they have time. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Oh, oh my wow. God. So um, I kicked up a bit of a stink about that and we, we had a government meeting um, with all the other um, uh, Commonwealth countries and, and we worked out another plan and how we would get out. But, yeah, the Americans will come back for us if there's time. Gosh. Um, but I found the work fascinating. And it must have been so scary. I mean, there was an awful lot of murder and mayhem going on in those days with the war. Yes, but I, I never felt it was targeted at me. You know, all of us were in danger of rocket attacks. And we had curfews most nights from from six to six in the morning. Um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't have been picked up by the Khmer Rouge or uh, no, anything like no, that. No, the Khmer Rouge didn't come in until seventy five. I was there until seventy three. Okay. It was mainly rocket attacks that we were in danger oh of. Oh my god! Because Phnom Penh was not occupied by the Vietnamese while I was there. Um, right. But you know, I've, I discovered that um, I loved danger. I'd never <laughs> been in danger before, and I right. loved it. The old adrenaline was pumping and everything, and you don't know. Um, uh, excitement until you've made love during a rocket attack with plaster <laughs> you falling know, on you. this just keeps coming <laughs> back to lovers and boyfriends. <laughs> with and... plaster falling you on the ceiling, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, 
So uh, that country had a profound effect on me, which I knew was going to change my life, but I didn't quite know how. Right. So and I went on then yeah. um, with foreign affairs, did five years in the Philippines, three years in Thailand. Oh, okay. So they then sent yeah, you to a whole yeah. lot of other countries, um, I was all in Asia? Uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, Philippines and Thailand, and then I did three years in Iran um, wow. for punishment during the, um, the hostage crisis. Like? Um, well, they sent me there as a punishment, and I loved it because the Persian men loved fat redheads. <laughs> and, Back to the lovers yeah, again. What about yeah. the work, though? Oh, the same sort of thing, okay. top secret reporting and so on. Right. Um, and again, um, uh, it was a war zone, but there was never bombing in, in Tehran, but there was huge restrictions on movement. Um, and, um, well, yeah, as a woman, as a woman I had well, to wear the hedge. I had to wear the hedge and all of that. Right. Um, so what I, I hated wearing the hijab, so um, I did wear it. And now, then, hang on, I just want to also clear: is the hijab just getting your face covered? It's just the scar- or is the whole. Thing no, not the not the whole shador. No, 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 no. Never get me in one of those. No. Um, so it's just yeah. the hijab, and then okay. you drive to work in the um, diplomatic car, and they hated diplomats over there, and they. As we were going to work, they'd be shouting at you and waving their fists. So I got a Mickey Mouse mask, so I just stood in the car with the Mickey Mouse mask on to go to work. <laughs> um, but it was a fascinating country, and I get really, really angry with the media who only depict the Iranians as fist-raving, rave, fist yeah. you know, death to um, America radicals because they are beautiful people. I think that that's kind of across the board because, yeah, um, yeah I remember my um, grandfather, not my grandfather, my uncle telling me he loved Beirut and yeah, that was just the most right. wonderful yeah. city and yeah. It's 5% of the radicals that give Iran and Iranians yeah, But, of course, a bad when name. it comes to news, that's yeah. what they want. They yeah. want, you know, yeah. somebody pumping their fist. So that's all we see. And I had three years there and I had a wonderful life socially and um, – I managed to marry the only alcoholic Shiite Muslim in existence. <laughs> so that that's was the another first, podcast. First that's husband or only first husband? husband uh, only husband, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's a podcast on its it own. It is so. a podcast in its own. Um, and so <laughs> from there, um, we were both sent to Washington. Yeah. And it was my first posting as um, a married woman. And I'd. I, would, I was never, America. yeah. I was never really wife material. Right. And um, what did your hubby, who was Iranian, um, think of it as well? He found real trouble getting work. He he used to work for IBM before the war and he was arrested and put into prison in Iran for being a spy because he worked for IBM. Right. And um, he great qualifications as the project manager. But in America, it was just before the TWA hijacking in Iran where they they dragged Americans off a plane, you know, and dragged them. And him as being Iranian, he found it really hard to get a job. There was a lot of racial discrimination there against him. So yeah, he was out of work for a year. Yeah. And that must have been very hard on your relationship yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, it was. But, um, because he would be, I'm guessing he would be. A, I was a very sophisticated. Very alpha male and not really. No, no, he wasn't of, really an alpha male. He was, no. um, well, he was so not alpha. Um, <laughs> I met him through his best friend who was my lover before him. <laughs> okay. And, and, and he knew. And, and when. We were thinking about who the best man was going to be, and he said, "Oh, it's got to be Sam." And I said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, Sam loved you. You loved Sam. I love Sam. You love Sam. We want somebody that loves us." And I said, oh, "Okay, that's so gorgeous." He was very um, lenient. Yeah, yeah, broad-minded. Yeah, and I mean, even like vacuuming. I mean, you know, 
Wow. If you get a Muslim that likes vacuuming, you don't let him go real and, fast. And that he's not, it wasn't, didn't feel bad yeah. that his wife was working and yeah. he wasn't. That yeah. was the thing yeah. that I would have. Oh, but she'll love how we got married. Um, I've well, got Jewish background, which is, you know, on all my papers and stuff. Right. And when we wanted to get married, because you had to get married, you couldn't spend the night together or even go to a restaurant without being arrested. So, right. you know, we were dying to be with each other. So we went to a rabbi. He wouldn't um, marry us because he was a Shiite. And the... Um, Muller wouldn't marry us because my background was Jewish. Jewish. And I said, what are you going to do? And then one Saturday he dropped around and he said, can I have your passport? And I said, I'm not giving my passport to anybody. <laughs> and he said, well, I've found a blind Muller who will marry us today for $100 without <laughs> looking. <laughs> and you went done. And I, he said, you don't even have to come. <laughs> so I said, oh, well, I'll arrange a really nice dinner. And I said, make sure I get a really, really love." And I had to sign to become a Muslim. I had to sign a paper saying right. I converted. I had one uh, hand with my fingers crossed behind my back. Um, and anyway, I said, when you go um, in Islam, when you, when you um, convert and get married, they give you a Muslim name the, the, and the mullah yeah. chooses it. And I said, get me a beautiful name like Shezerad, Soraya, Farangis, Fariba. <coughs> anyway, he came back and, you know, we're having this lovely romantic dinner and I said, oh, what's my Muslim name? And he said, you're not going to like it, Geraldine. Uh-oh. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's Fatima. <laughs> and in Iran, they shorten everybody's name. So I got called Fatty for the rest of my time there. So the marriage really wasn't on I the think right. That's quite cute. I lived for a, um, about three months in the ghettos in Jamaica. Okay, and uh, and I remember I'd walk into all the bars and the guys would go, "She's a fat woman. This is a fat woman." And I remember say, ending up saying to one of the women, "Why don't you just slap him across the face for saying that you're fat all the time?" And he said, yeah. and she said, "No, no, you don't understand. Fat right. means sexy." Here. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. obviously did over there yeah, as well. That's so. right. Um, <laughs> okay, so you, so you married this guy and you're in America. What, yeah. what came next? Um, it was during the Reagan administration. It was <laughs> during the um, Iran-Contra scandal. Yeah, um, and the nuclear and, threat. And, and, and I threat. just got so – and, you know, when I was in Iran, they used to say that America is the big Satan. Right. And when I got to Washington, I tended to agree with them. I lived through two war zones and I felt most at physical risk in- on the streets of Washington. right. Taxi drivers were black and on drugs and sometimes you'd hail them and they looked at you with such hate there's no way you'd get in the taxi. Whereas these days they, they only need to reach for the glove box and they seem to That's get right. shot. That's right. So they're, they're in um, danger So I, it wasn't a happy posting right. at, at all and I just got jaded with all things political. Um, I mean I worked with, you know, the the White House and the CIA and Capitol Hill and everything and they're all such backstabbers. So I'll do anything to get, you know, another leg up and I just oh. got jaded with everything so I resigned um the marriage wasn't really doing really well at the time so um uh we decided to go back to Australia and um when I resigned I was told that um personnel in Canberra shut the doors and had a bottle of champagne and celebrated because I was such a such a terror to handle in personnel oh, wow and then I joined Chase Manhattan Bank for eight years. So you came to us back to Australia, Australia with yep. your hubby, who yeah, he got to work with I IBM. Would have get a whole lot of racism here as well. Uh, no, not so bad. Oh, he oh, he worked with IBM, and I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank again right. as uh, executive assistant to the CEO there. All right. And I hated it. You know, I was gone from from war zones and political reports to yawn, finance. Yawn. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, after eight years, my Disinterest in my job was evident. Yes, and I got I got fired three weeks before my fiftieth birthday. Oh, and you know in my book I write um, 
fat fired 50 and fucked. And uh, <laughs> to try and find a job at 50 against... Uh, it, can I tell you, it, now it's exactly the same. Uh, uh, I mean, that's one of the things So that, uh, I thought... Um, I'd started the, raising money for the orphanage in 1993, but I so never. So hang on, wait, 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 wait! I'm lost. What, so in you, you knew of an orphanage over there um, that when, you were in, raising money yeah, for. Yeah, in in the 70s, yeah. um, the son of Seanor, Prince Norodom Runnerid, he was my landlord. He and his wife was the landlord for my apartment. Okay. So I knew the royal family, you know, on a, a fairly personal yeah. level, not deep, but personal. Um, and then when I got fired, um, Runnerid was voted in with the United Nations elections and he was then the Prime Minister. Right. So I thought, well, you know, um, I'd started the orphanage. Um, How had you started the orphanage, though? Um, bit, we, we, did you go back? Um, yes. Um, uh, during the time I was working with Chase Manhattan Bank, yeah. um, I took a first-class ticket and did a round-the-world thing and I, I went back to Cambodia for the first time. Right. Uh, we were never able to go to Angkor Wat because of the war. Right. And I really badly wanted to see that. And when I was there in 1993, I saw the state for the children was just as bad as it was in the 70s. Right. So um, I wrote to the royal family and I said, look, during the war I wasn't able to help. And I, I said, I'm now in a position where I can. Is there something I can do for you? And Princess Marie, his wife, wrote back and she said, there's a group of 24 children on the border of um, Thailand and Cambodia that have been abandoned and I, I can't get to them. You know, the roads are too bad, I can't right. get to them. So a girlfriend and I got together and we, we went to Cambodia Yeah, and uh, took a whole lot of supplies to the kids. And Where were they? Were they in they're a on a, house or No, they were in, they're in an abandoned um, school on the corner of um, the border. Right. Um, but in terrible condition. Yeah. Um, and we got a whole lot of food and that and supplies for them. And that was when I realised that um, I hated the universe because I did everything I could to get children, have children. I had operations, microscopic surgery, right. you know, all sorts of stuff. This was going to be. And I was really pissed off. And then when I saw these group of 24 children, it was like a bullet to head. I thought, oh, shit. There are all these kids. This I is why. Be, this is why yeah, the universe wouldn't let me have my own children. Right. These, these are the ones, and it's a lovely feeling, um, Jules, to know that you're doing not from a religious point of view, but from I know I'm doing. Kind of I thing. know I'm doing what I was put on this earth for, right. and I'm loving every minute of it. I wouldn't change my life with anybody at this stage. Okay, so so tell us how how everything has grown from you basically saving twenty four kids on the side of the road. Um, or in an abandoned schoolhouse. So how did that develop from there? Well, um, when I got fired, um, yeah. I wrote to the prince again, who was then the prime minister, and yeah. I said, you got a job. So he accepted me in his cabinet as his speechwriter and English translator. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, I got, right, I got a job, job. Uh, as his executive assistant, and I, and I, I went back there. And um, on, the, so on the really... side, on the side, I helped his wife with the with the orphanage that I was raising money for on the weekends. But during the week, I worked in the in the cabinet of. So the... his wife was had actually started the orphanage. Yes, and okay. then she couldn't reach them, and then I reached out. Okay, that and I was able. To, I raised about thirteen thousand dollars a year. That was all I could do. Yeah, um, but that would have gone a long way. Particularly yeah, in those yeah. Days, I would have thought. Um, and then there was a coup in uh, nineteen ninety seven, and the. Uh, current Prime Minister Hun Sen, he's a military commander, he yeah. he overthrew the royal family and I was in deep shit because the royal family left and I was stuck behind. Stuck behind. Well, not As stuck. As a friend of theirs. I, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I drove a, a government car with, you know, the plates on it that everyone knew I worked for the royal family. And um, 
I couldn't have left the children. There were 60 of them then, and I I would never have slept no, if I I'd left the country Although at the time. Although putting yourself in enormous danger, I would have thought. And the British, uh, the um, Australian Embassy evacuation bus stopped by my house on the way to the airport, and they said, get on the bus, you silly bitch. <laughs> and I said, there's no way I could leave these 60 kids, yeah. not knowing what would happen to yeah. them. Uh, but I was in a lot of trouble yes. um, politically and personally after that. And in the end... Um, what happened? How did you... Uh, did or you... during the coup, we had soldiers out at the orphanage trying to get us off because what I didn't know that when Princess Marie started the orphanage, she took land from the army and Ooh, put the kids God, there. I didn't, I didn't know it was a military barracks right. and I had them out there. AK-47s, B-40 rockets pointed at the kids' chest saying, leave, it's our land. Oh my and the God. kids are in the dust, wetting themselves, yeah, praying, terrified. don't terrified. shoot, don't shoot. And again, I love danger, right? <laughs> don't anyway, put that I, smile I'm, on your face when yeah. you say that. And I mean, these soldiers are only like 21, 22 years old, and I'm going up and pointing my finger at them and saying, does your mother know what you're doing here today? Um, <laughs> and they're going, the crazy redheaded yeah, Australian yeah. older and then, woman. And then the elder one that was the leader, he suddenly looked me up and down really, really long time. And then he put his gun down and he, he nudged the soldier next to him and whispered, and that soldier had a good look at me, put his gun down, nudged the next one. There's about five or six of them. And in the end they all just put their guns down and left, got on the tank and left. And we all went to the dining room. We're laughing and we're crying and, you know, kids are, you know, like it was. And suddenly the older boys and the staff started really laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? We all could have got killed there. And they said, oh, Mum, it was your hair that saved us. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, there's a very famous witch in Cambodia where the wives go to when their husbands are unfaithful and this witch turns their husband's penises to the size of a pea and she's got bright red hair like you. And there's nobody in Cambodia with hair like oh, me except wow. me and this witch, right? right? So the kids reckoned the soldiers thought they wouldn't take a chance. Uh, so anyway, after that, we were still menaced by so. Oh, my God. Sorry, I just have to just take yeah. a moment there yeah. to go, thank you, universe. Yeah. Like, you can't oh make God. these stories up. Yeah. No, you couldn't. Um, and we were still menaced by soldiers, so I. So you had to move out of that. You had to move out of that space. Well, uh, yeah, well, we, we, we were kicked out in the so, end. So what do you do when you've got 60 well, kids um, and nowhere to go? Well, I appealed, did a, an appeal to Khun Sen, who was the one that won the coup. Yeah. Um, and knowing that he would have seen reports, because when the coup happened, every journalist in the world is there, and I was dragging journalists from CNN and NBC and Australia and everything out to the orphanage to show them how we were being um, targeted. Yeah. And I was saying, see, this is Hun Sen. He's nothing but a gangster. He's no better than Pol Pot. This is what he's doing to his own children, right? And he was looking for some positive publicity. Yeah, yeah, and he was. Right. Right. And I, from my political background, I knew that, he he would see a positive shame, shame him into doing something. Yeah, so I had a meeting with him, Good. and I took the kids with me, and they did a dance and um, and Khmer music and dance for them, and he they really captivated him. And then he said, um, well, "Let's go for a private meeting." And I thought, "Oh shit!" Right, because he's he's obviously seen these reports on me. And before we and went not in, averse to pulling out a gun and shooting someone, I wouldn't have thought. Well, so. not, not not well. He he would arrange I would have been it. A bit nervous. I was a bit nervous. Yes. Um. And before I w- had the meeting with him, I, I really thought long and hard about what I have to make this guy like me. Um, he's the only one that can help us. So I thought, what can I do? So what I decided to do is that when I had my, my one-on-one meeting with him and it was f- televised, I dropped to my knees and I, I begged for his forgiveness 
And I knew that he knew it was totally against my culture to do that and that I was doing it just for the kids. And from that, I had him like that. And we like that now. And for anyone who yeah. can't yeah. see, that's yeah. Yeah. the two of them and are thickest I mean, at, at that meeting he gave us 10 hectares of land, relocated this, paid for us oh, to move there. But, but, you know, you, you it's a hard thing to do to drop to your knees and beg someone. Yeah, who, who, yeah. You know, yeah. so he appreciated it. But it worked, it, but, right? Yes, that's and, brilliant. I mean, at that meeting I, I got 10 hectares of land, all the costs to move us there, and he arranged for me to get um, Cambodian citizenship from King Seanor. And after that... Um, uh, with, with the land, we got the land in 1999, but it took me until 2002 to build it and everything. And How he did you build it? This is this raised is money, raised raising money, money yeah. raising money, raising money. And he came to open it. It's a big deal if the prime minister comes out to yeah. uh, open it. And he saw that I was living in a in a like a it was a military barracks, and there was a commander's house in the middle between these two big long barracks, and I was living there. And he said, "Where do you live?" And I said, "Here." And it was just a two two-roomed yeah. thing. And he said, oh, no. He said, that won't do. Allow me the pleasure to build you a house. And he said, go to the museum. You'll see little models, wooden models of Cambodian houses. And take a photograph choose and send one. it to me. Choose one. And that's how it happened. Oh. And he's built me this wonderful solid teak house. Anyway, knowing um, from working with foreign affairs that, you know, any any gift that you get that's sizable, you have to report it to foreign affairs. Yeah. And even though I wasn't with foreign affairs, I thought I really should tell the ambassador about this. And I went to the ambassador and I said, look, I'd rather you hear it from me than someone else, but Hun Sen's building me a house for my work. And the ambassador said, how can you accept a gift like that from a man like that? Because he's a dictator, you know. Yeah. He's got yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, ambassador, I said, my father couldn't give me a house. My lovers couldn't give me a house. My husband couldn't give me a house. And unless you're going to give me a house, I'm fucking going with them. <laughs> <laughs> but I still have to be careful um, who I tell that the the dictator of Cambodia has built me a house. Um, yeah, I bet. But um, it's changed my life and I've got a lovely place to, to stay and retire and die in. Um, and I wouldn't have it without the support of Hun Sen. Right. Um, so, so what happened after that then? So he built you the house. Yep. And um, you have this dictator who's now your your buddy. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I said, like, when he built me the house, he sent out these beautiful Cambodian carvings of Apsara women, like full um, life size. And the advisor said to me, he said, Look, you know, why is Sun Sen doing this? What? Why are you so well, special yeah, to him? And I said, him? I don't know. And I said, we know he's not after my body. Um, <laughs> I was 50, 52, 53 then. And he said, oh, I'm going to find out. Don't so, underestimate, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, he came back and he said, well, we know. We know why he's doing it for you. He said, when you came up here, you moved up here in 95 to work for the prince, and he's, he knew you only had $40,000, which oh, was your okay. super anyway. He's got, you know, he knows how to find out stuff. And he said he knows you used that money to live and to look after the children and that when that money ran out, you only got um, uh, $12,000 a year as a salary. He loves that. Um, he loves that you don't convert the children to Christianity. He loves that you're big on Khmer music and dance and the kids yeah, keeping their culture. Great, yeah. He loves you don't have any foreigners on high salaries. And most of all, he loves you because he told the advisor that um, that, that the country directors for Red Cross save the children World Vision. They drive around in, in their 80,000 Lexus cars. And he said, Mum Geraldine drives a 12-year-old um, Honda. Bashed up. Rav, yeah. And he said, I like that. Um, right. But even more than that, 
Um, he's a very superstitious Buddhist. Yeah. And he goes to, he's got this group of wise women fortune tellers that he goes to. And years ago, the advisors told me his favorite fortune teller told him that a red woman, redhead woman was going to come into his life and he had to take care of her. So who am I to, I mean, this is, you know. Isn't that amazing? You can't live in a country like Cambodia and listen to all this no. stuff and, and, and poo-poo it. So you have this friend now who's yeah. basically running the, he's still yeah. there, is he? He's there. Um, he There were elections this year. He's getting a bit old now and he, he definitely will be giving power over to his son who I also have a great relationship okay. with. And right. the son's been educated in West Point. He's a real Westerner in his in his mind. Yeah. Okay. So the power wow. that that Hun Sen has given me, he will pass on to to Hun Manet. That'll happen in July. Wow. So yeah. what are you? What what's going to happen to the kids when you die? Like, what is your plan for this? Um, um, well, you know, from charity because you now got like yeah, four hundred and seventy kids relying on you. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, up until I was sixty, up until I was sixty, I was fine health wise. Then I got cancer and I had a double mastectomy, and oh, I thought, gosh. you know. Once you've had cancer, you're always wondering what's around the corner. Yeah. So I was really panicking and worrying about who's going to take over. Um, and um, I found a wonderful successor who will take oh. over in October. Um, she's a Melbourne girl. She works for the ABC. She's their Middle East expert and I've known her for 24 years. Oh, and she's just wonderful. Um, she's going to come up in October. I will still live there and you know, eat yes, with the kids. So, so you're there to help yeah, her. I just, I just don't do any work. Yeah, I'll, I'll sleep in. Good. I'll sleep in. Sleep in. Meet the school bus. Have lunch. Watch Netflix. Oh no, you won't. Drink. Oh, I uh, love the re- idea of it, Geraldine. I yeah. mean, that'll last the first three weeks. <laughs> and I've said to her, I promise Tracy that I won't ask for any advice. I won't give you any advice unless you ask for it. And she said, Yeah, oh, right. Sure. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so when she comes in October, I'm going to take off for two months and let her settle in and. Establish herself as the okay. numero uno. So and I, go? Uh, I'm staying with the friends in Busselton for a couple of months and the friends in Thailand. And I'll just have a holiday. I'm writing my second book. It's called I'm Still Tell Here. Us about the first book. Sorry, you did allude oh, to it and I didn't want to stop it's the called story. But... Home is Where the Heart Is. And it's it's basically my life story. in Adelaide right up through until Hun Sen gave me the land in, two th- oh, in 1999. I'll have to go and look so for it. Is it available everywhere? Like, no, I'm still it? writing it. No, I'm the still. First one. Oh, yeah. No, you can, you can, you can get it from me. I, no, no, it doesn't matter. I'm just like for people listening, you can buy it on Amazon or something. No, no, you can only get it through my website. Okay, you just so go well, through my website. Which web- is what? Give us the, email, um, uh, the address. Sunrisecambodia.org.au. Okay, fantastic. Okay. So that's that book. And then what's this next book then? Um, it's 22 years of what's happened after after, after the house. After the house. Um, stories oh. of the kids, failures, successes, my cancer journey, um, wow. a whole lot of um, interesting stuff. Um uh, and there's a lot of sex in my first book, and, and <laughs> pe- pe- people are saying to me, "Is there going to be any sex in this one?" And I said, "Not unless something happens tonight." <laughs> well, you're going to be footloose and fancy free yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah. Let's and, see what and I've been lucky. Um, Selma Anthony, who was Colleen McCulloch's um, literary agent, is yeah. looking at. Um, Helping me get it published. So as soon yeah. as you said that, I just did a spooky because you wear your hair in a very similar way. Yeah, yeah, you that's right. Like, yeah. Sort of like yeah. sisters. But you know, I've reached a stage in my life where I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I don't envy anybody, and I'm really at peace and content. Oh, I'm so um, well. I mean, you've I, I want I want things. shitloads of money for the orphanage, but personally, I, I'm fine. You've got, you've got your yeah. house. Yep, yep. And you know how to raise money. Yeah, so yeah. You, you I just have to be right. able to raise more. 
All right. Well, there's the call out, girls. Anybody listening who wants yeah. to help? I had a wonderful money for had Sunrise a wonderful day on Sunday. The Melbourne Welsh Church have been giving me two thousand dollars every year for fifteen years. So I just wanted to go to the congregation, and say thank, thank you. you. Walked away with a twenty thousand dollar check. I cried. I bet. You know, it was just so unexpected and so generous. So what had they done? What had happened? Was that one person who decided I, I, to donate I, to I, I spoke and told lots of moving stories of the kids and I just touched them. And they just all put in they had a quick thousands board, of they, dollars no, instead No, they of had a quick dollars. board meeting um, and um, they have assets. I don't know. It wasn't the congregation yeah, that gave me church, the money. It was so. the church, yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's pretty good so far, fundraising. Yeah, yeah well yeah. done. I mean, that's mm. a year's worth. And that was Sunday. Really? That's just two days ago. Wow. Mm. So but I need, you... I need um, 45,000 US dollars a month, uh, Australian a dollars a month. A month? 45,000. Well, that's, I'm educating. Yeah, no, I understand yeah, that. Yeah. But how do you, I mean, that's a lot of money. It's a lot place. of money. So yeah. How do you um, do that? Uh, public speaking, um, TV, current affair, the project. Well, they pay you money for No, no, they story. interview me. Right. They interview me and then uh, I put my stories out there and the public go to my website and donate. And donate. Yeah. And I do. That's extraordinary. That, and that's also yeah. Yeah, a lot I, for I you. Do, I do um, TV, radio, print media, rotary clubs, church groups, schools, women's groups, street corners, sausage sizzles, <laughs> wherever can. I can get so, my foot so in the door. What, what is the new woman who's coming on board? I think you said her name was Tracy. How's she going to um, that kind of No, I'll still have to be doing that for a while. Um, she is just learning how to do public speaking. Right. Um, so I'll still um, – I, I, I accept um, invitations to speak at conferences and things like that, and I'll still do that. My face will still be on the, on the profile yeah. uh, because – my yeah, brand I mean, is my brand is me. Tracy will just do all the work, right? Um, right. And then I'll be teaching her how to fundraise as I as I grow older. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, wow, you're amazing. All right, um, let me just have a little look at my other little bits and pieces. Have you had any? I don't even know whether this is really relevant, but have you had any moments? Um, the way I talk about it is pivotal moments. So when something has happened that potentially, and it can be big or small, but potentially you think is going to derail the whole thing and you look back on it and go, well, we went in a whole new direction. Right, and right. Well, great. The, the coup in 97 looked like I was losing everything. Right. Um, and that turned out to be the best thing that ever happened because I got the backing of the government, I got land, I got citizenship, and often what you think is going to be a disaster can turn around. Yeah. Um, that's a great story. Actually. So that's that a... was a real a turning point yeah. in my life then. And then, of course, since then I've had obstacles that I've overcome um, that aren't all that newsworthy. But, uh, you know, when you've got that many kids in your life, I've got kids that well, have died. Right. I've got cancer and all I've had kids that have died, kids that have gone to prison, different things. Um, and then COVID really hit us hard. And and so let's just go back a little bit because you did talk about that. We had a false start at the beginning for anyone who's listening mm. um, and we started again and and the what you were talking about last time is probably would be really good to tell people. So you were saying the kids come from yeah from well how 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 we get them, yeah um, kids are trafficked while we are speaking. Kids are being trafficked that and is... taken over the border. Prostitution, slave labour, begging rings, and illegal adoption rings, and. Couple and that of, is prevalent in was, Thailand. Oh, daily. And, and yeah, in and Cambodia, Cambodia as well. The Cambodians do it and they take them to Thailand. And once or twice a year the, the Thai police round up all the kids that they know that are Cambodian and they tip them over the border and send them back. 
But they and, literally just drop them on the side of the road. Yeah, the no, well, there's a couple of holding camps on the border where they go to, and then um, when the kids though. when the kids come to me through these agencies, and you know they must be they've so all traumatized. Oh, oh, well, and when they see me. They're terrified. There's this big, large, red-headed lady wanting to hug them. I just want to say you're not large at all. Okay. You've got a mental image of you being yeah. bigger than you are. And um, and when the kids come, they're terrified of me. And after a couple of weeks when they know I'm not going to eat them, um, I say to them in Khmer, darling, everything's going to be all right now. Um, I promise you. And I, in my speeches I say, I promise them that everything's going to be all right, but I can't keep that promise unless you give me money. So uh, my youngest, youngest child is three, and I promise all the kids I'll dance at their weddings. Aww. I've already been to two weddings this year. Well, I was going to say, so if you've been doing it this long, you must have somewhere yeah, now in yeah. their 20s and 30s. Um, but other ways the kids come to it, poor families who have sick kids, they take them to the hospital, they abandon them there because they can't pay for the medication, right. they and can't the pay for the funerals. Right. And after two weeks, the hospitals, when they know that nobody's coming back, they contact us and we go and get the kids. And it's, it's, usually they're babies or small kids. Oh. Um, sometimes kids only last two or six months and they die, but we give them a full Buddhist funeral. Right. They die with dignity. Um, and knowing that, that somebody cares about them because, yeah. I mean, your parents yeah. abandoning you would yeah. have to be yeah. the worst thing. And, um, and I've got 15 kids that have been abandoned in hospitals and they don't have a sausage in the world. They don't know anything about their families. No. And it, it's emotionally damaging to them. They're growing really? up knowing they've been damaged, they've got no history or anything. And one little boy I'm really close to, his name is Ponlu, and he was caught bashing a girl with a shoe really hard. And I pulled him away and said, what are you doing? And he said, she called me an orphan. I'm not an orphan. I've got a mother and father. I just don't know where they are. Oh. Mm. And then I have teenage, oh, I have teenage kids say to me, why did my mum throw me away? And then I have um, and kids. And what do you say to those kids? I just give them a hug. Yeah. Um, say I'm kind of glad yeah. because I get to have you it, now and it's, you're special it's, or something. It's politically incorrect to hug and touch kids. If I had, uh, if, why is that politically incorrect? Oh, That's... even in Australia in schools, well, I know parents, teachers Australian aren't allowed schools, to touch the kids at all. But I touch so kids, wrong. fondle, stroke kids all day yeah, long. They right. need it, they especially. Do. And you know, when I walk down from my house, the kids come out with their arms up. You know, in the air saying, going to pick me up. What are you going to say? I'm sorry, I can't touch you. No. And um, I meet the school bus when it comes back at lunchtime and um, I've got all these kids coming off and my, their names don't come to me really, really quick. <laughs> so um, I'll say, hello, gorgeous, hello, Danny. Give us a kiss, pat on the bottom, stroke on the head. So my aim is to touch, touch each kid at least once a day. Because human touch is so important. Yeah. And if, yeah. if you can't that's have right. it, as, that's it right. as children. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and, then it, and it perpetuates the, a fear of adults yeah, when they're right. older that's and right. that, that yeah. people will be cruel. And, yeah. And, and a physical oh, touch a and hugs is a big doing. part of, yeah, you know, of what I do. But in Australia, I'd be arrested for child abuse. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something yeah. very and, and then about. kids also come to us from desperate mothers whose husbands or stepfathers are sexually and physically Abusing hurting their them. children. The wives can't leave. They've got nowhere to go, so they've got to stay with the men and they but bring they the, children. the children yeah. away. And, um, and our big thing at the moment, we're rescuing kids from a brick factory where kids as young as seven are loading uh, trucks with bricks. The police raided them, brought nine kids to us half an hour before I was going to feed us, and I didn't have money, uh, didn't have food for nine more kids. Right. Um, anyway, so 
there's 20 more that I want to take, but I can't do it until I get more sponsors because right. there's no point taking kids if you don't have the money. Yeah. So this trip is about you know get, getting more sponsors. I need a thousand more sponsors at fifty dollars a month for me to rescue the brick kids. Oh, okay. So and you've actually got a thing where you people can donate a regular fifty dollars a month. Oh yeah, on my website. Yeah. Oh, okay. So for anyone who's listening, uh, sunrisecambodia.org.kh, and then go to the donate page and give KH big time. Or oh, sorry. Dot au. Dot au. Okay. Yeah. And then go to the donate page, and you can do it as a regular. Yeah, you can do it as a, set, a, a PayPal credit card, um, direct debit. Oh, and we take anything. Yeah, yeah. And anything over two dollars is tax deductible. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's, you know, for many years I was um, supporting those kids through World Vision, but to be able to go directly to someone mm. where you know it'll mm. make a huge difference, and yeah. all the money will go to the kids. And, and also, a World Vision, you don't get to meet your kids, no. but um, if you come to Cambodia, you can meet your sponsor. A sponsored child and yes. yeah, have, have, and have give them all. hugs yeah, and kisses. That's right, that's right. And tell them yeah. how gorgeous yeah. they are. And we write once a year to our sponsors and if the kids are too young, they paint pictures. Oh, that is just yeah. divine. Yeah. Oh. Geraldine, you are extraordinary. You really are amazing. Um, I'm not going to ask you any of the other things other than I have this great question that I ask everyone. I've got to ask you because you never know what will come out of it. Is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? And it can be anything. I always love the answers. Um, Cambodia, as I said, it really it tweaks everything every day. It's, you cry, you laugh, you get angry, you get frustrated. Every day you know you're alive. Right? Yeah. And some days are sad. Um, and I live in this nice house. I've got a balcony that overlooks a rice paddy and cows. I, I can have my music really, really loud. There's no houses around me. Okay. And on a really, really bad day I go out on the balcony naked with a double gin and tonic and sing Ness in Dorma. Oh, that's, that's my favourite song. That's conjuring up a really interesting yeah, image, but yeah, I love it. Yeah. And um, I just love my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a pretty great life, to be honest. Mm, mm. I mean, not always easy, but very, very satisfying, I would have mm, thought. Mm. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much. So we'll do one more time. Let's just let everybody know how they can. Please. I, get, now, and if they wanted to get hold of you to have a chat with oh, you, they look, can do that. Oh, I'm really too. happy. Oh four one nine six no, nine. No, 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 la, 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 la. You're not putting out a phone number. Can I give an email address? You could give, or is there an email? Can they contact you via the website? Not personally. Okay, go so on, give an email address. My then. email address is geraldine.cox yep. at sunrisecambodia, one word, dot org, dot kh. We don't take volunteers, though. Okay. Okay, we don't have the, the facilities. Okay, yeah. unless they came with lots and lots of money. In which yes, case you yes, might yeah, let them yeah, stay. yeah, that's right. So yes. maybe we'll just go. If so, you want to uh, go over, you've got to be prepared to donate at least right. ten thousand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking for a thousand people that can afford fifty dollars a month, and then I I can keep the center center running at its current level of perfection. Right. Mm. But what we really want is two thousand people, so you can take on more kids if you want. Well, to. yeah, or I, give I, them yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. horrible that money is everything to a charity. You now people say money isn't everything, but I'm sorry, as far as I'm concerned, you can't it is. feed people no. on, on goodwill. No. That's for sure. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so so much for this interview. I can't okay. wait to share it. All right. Thank you so much for your interest.
hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.